Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Praise God. Praise God. I don't really cry a lot. But when the presence of God comes in, and I know where he brought me from, and I know what he's done for me, and I don't apologize for crying in the presence of God. I thank God. I thank him that he can touch me, that he can move me, that he can stir me inside, that he knows how to connect with me. And he would like to do that with all of us today, wouldn't he? Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank God for the sweet Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise God. Well, we're going to try to do some more teaching today with the help of the Lord. We'll do a little review from where we were last week, and then we'll continue on in our study on what the world needs now. Praise God. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about um, Adam and Eve and the fact that they had uh, chosen to disobey God's directive to leave that tree of knowledge of good and evil alone. And that if they didn't do that, uh, God had told them that they would die from that. And we found out that they did not actually physically die right then. Even though God had told them in the day that you touch it, or the day that you eat it, eat from the fruit of that tree, you shall surely die. And that didn't happen physically, did it? They didn't die that day, physically. So it wasn't about this physical death that God had talked to them about whenever he was telling them that in the day that you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. Instead, it was more about the death of the individual that they were made to be the person that God had created them to be, that was what was going to die. It was much like the metamorphosis process that occurs within us whenever we experience salvation at the hand of God. How many of you can remember when God transformed you? When you knelt at an altar someplace, it could have been anywhere. Whenever your heart's ready, whenever you're right, and the time is right, that experience happens, and the Spirit of God begins that metamorphosis process in us. And metamorphosis is the Greek word, and it's, it talks about the transformation like the caterpillar to the butterfly. Such a drastic change, dramatic change. Does the caterpillar even resemble a butterfly? Not in the least. Totally different. And that's this process that happens in us whenever we receive salvation in our lives. It's that transformation process where we don't even, we're not even remotely like we used to be. It changes us so drastically. So this process, this metamorphosis process that we experience in salvation where God transforms us from being caterpillars to butterflies, this process was kind of in reverse when Adam and Eve partook of that forbidden tree because 
they had been created to be the butterfly. And yet when they had sinned against God, that metamorphosis process took place in their lives and they became caterpillars instead of butterflies. It was that de-evolution. They became lesser creatures. And so Adam and Eve, while in this state of perfection before they had disobeyed God, this state of innocence, they had still found themselves capable of being tempted. Temptation was still viable for them. So temptation wasn't something that happened as a result of their sinning against God. And temptation isn't completely solved in our lives just because we receive salvation. Has anybody here never been tempted once you received the Holy Ghost? We can still be tempted. So temptation isn't a, isn't a part of the process of sin. It has nothing to do with sin. Sin makes it easier for us to be tempted. But it doesn't eradicate it. Or doesn't, uh, it isn't what caused it. And the fact that we are tempted isn't sinful. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted. Was he sinful? So just the fact that we're tempted doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean we're sinful. It's when we give in to that. It's when we yield to that. Then it becomes sinful. So temptation in and of itself isn't... Uh, isn't a bad thing necessarily. It's what we do with it. Now, there were three points uh, last week we talked about. There were three points that were a part of Eve's temptation. Eve had discerned that the tree was better for food. And then she perceived that the tree was exceedingly desirable to the eyes. And finally, Eve discerned that the tree was coveted because it could make one wise. Those are the three points that the scripture talks about when Eve was looking at the tree. We compared those three points uh, of temptation of Eve with what John describes for us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, uh, as the three powerful and important elements in the world which would oppress us. In 1 John 2, 16, he lists them as this, that they were, first of all, the lust of the flesh... Secondly, the lust of the eyes. And thirdly, the pride of life. So those are the three elements that John tells us are powerful elements that have entered our world. Now we said that uh, Eve had first perceived that this tree was a better source for food than the other trees. And when we compare that with what First John talks about, the first thing on his list is the lust of the flesh. It's our flesh that desires food. It craves it, it loves it, it wants it. So the lust of the flesh has to do with the physical body, the, fit, the things for the, the body to, uh, to desire. So that fits with that. Secondly, Eve found that the tree was exceedingly desirable to the eyes. And the second thing on the list of 1 John the lust of the eyes that matches. And the third thing we talked about 
was that Eve found the tree to be desired or coveted because it could make one wise. And the third thing on the list that John saw was the pride of life. What this means is that the whole structure of man's world was reorganized so that it was going to operate now under the influence of these three powerful forces. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it's connected to what happened way back in the very beginning. I'm telling you, the the book of Genesis cannot be disregarded because it gives you pretty much everything you need to know. It's, It's everything we really need to know is in there. Got to dig it out a little bit, but it is in there. So much of what was written by the apostles of God in the New Testament can be directly related to them understanding the connection of what happened in the book of Genesis. Because it's all connected. It's all connected. So, Prior to his fall, mankind had been uh, content and completely satisfied to experience life under the leadership and the direction of God. That's the only life they had known, was God directing them, God leading them. And they would have this relationship, this fellowship with God on a daily basis, and everything was great, everything was wonderful. That's the life that they had known. God had been all that they had needed. But when temptation had entered and sin was birthed from that temptation, everything had as a consequence been turned upside down. Everything changed in that instant. It was no longer the same. So that now instead of mankind living under the direction and under the leadership of God and feeling wonderful about that, being happy in that, We now find mankind seeking to obtain the satisfaction that he had once found in God, now to be thought impossible unless it could be obtained by seeking the pursuit of these three things that John had mentioned. And if you look in in the world today, all the chaos, all the problems, all the troubles, They're all connected to those three things. The pursuit of those three things. Doing what the flesh wants to do. Whatever the eyes want, getting it. And wanting to be better than somebody else. Because that's the way it is in this life. You've got to be better than somebody else. You're always going to find somebody that's better than you in something, but you want to be better than somebody else. Those three things rule us. Those three things rule this world. So let's examine each of these areas that John brought to our attention, and we're going to see how, uh, what can be revealed about the way in which sin has changed us. First mentioned was the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh is an excessive desire which consumes our life with the pursuit of those things which appeal to the desires or the appetites of the flesh. And it, 
And that's a wide, wide range of stuff. A wide range. Because the flesh likes a lot of things. It likes a lot of things. And any of those things, when it becomes excessive desires for us, that's lust. And we already talked about what happens when we lust. The next area mentioned was the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. That's related to the excessive desire which consumes our life with the pursuit of those things that appeal to the desires or the appetites generated by our eyes. The eyes have been called the window to the soul. And the soul is that part of us that's connected to our feelings, to our emotions, and to our imaginations. Our eyes can create emotions inside of us. You can look at something, oh, that is just beautiful. I've got to have that. Your flesh doesn't need it, but your eyes see it. And your eyes lust for it because it pleases the eyes. It may not have any function whatsoever, but because it's beautiful, you got to have it. That's the lust of the eyes. We've all experienced that. Finally, the last area that John addressed was the pride of life. That's the... Uh, uh, that's related to the excessive desire that consumes our life in the pursuit of those things that appeal to the desires of being raised to a higher social status. It's seeking after the things that can elevate us above our peers, that can make us somebody. And we, might like, we might not like to admit it, but we kind of like to be thought of pretty highly, don't we? And that's okay as long as it doesn't become excessive. As long as that becomes the focal point of your life and you're willing to destroy anybody that gets in your way. And there are plenty of people who do that all the time. You're just a stepping stone. And if you get in their way, they're going to get you out of the way. Because by hook or crook, they're going to be the best. They're going to be better than anybody else. That's when it becomes excessive. It's not bad to want to better yourself in life, and I'm not talking about that. But when that desire, that drive becomes excessive in your life, and that's all you can think about, then that's when it becomes bad news. Bad news for us. And all of what 1 John 2.16 talks about is this complete opposite of what a true steward is supposed to be. See, God created man again in the beginning to be stewards. Stewards of everything that he has, everything that he's made, everything that he's created. And we are to be stewards of the Lord. And we talked about what it is to be a steward, and that is not what it means to be a steward. It's the exact opposite. So when man sinned in the beginning, he was no longer a good steward. It changed him and changed him. Adam and Eve ended up as failures in their pursuit of being good stewards for the Lord. 
They failed. They failed. Instead, they chose to walk a different path, one that was going to result in serious repercussions that ended up placing us under the power of these three, the Bible says, ungodly forces. They don't come from God. Forces that now rule us and they make our lives miserable and unfulfilled. They promise what they can't deliver. Okay, we're going to return to our story and we're going to see what will happen next once these uh, are two heroes in the story, once they happen to go against God's commandment concerning this forbidden tree. I want us to, if you got your Bibles with you, you can turn with, to me, uh, with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 7. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7. It says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They had their eyes opened. Now, in the New Testament, when we hear about God performing miracles, he opened eyes. He opened the eyes of the blind. But that's not really what it's talking about here. It wasn't a physical opening of the eyes. They had not been blind. God did not create them blind. They couldn't have been effective in their positions as stewards if they had been, born blind, if they had been created blind. So it's not about the physical opening of the eyes. It's, it's something else. I believe that it was dealing with sight in the sense of the way in which they were going to process this event that has occurred to them, this change that's happened in their eyes. It's created a different perception from what they used to have in life. It opened up a different concept of life to them. A fountain of knowledge of a different type was given to them. So that now they saw things in a whole new light of revelation and understanding. And the first casualty of this new enlightenment, this new understanding that dawned upon them, was the loss of their innocence. Man, what, what would it have been like if we could have been not just born innocent, but could have lived our lives with innocence? Devoid of sin, devoid of guilt, devoid of shame. Wouldn't it have been a better way to live? Unfortunately, that's not the way it turned out. They lost their innocence. And so here in this verse number 7, we're confronted with their, uh, their having traded their understanding, which had been under the influence of innocence. They saw life through the eyes of innocence. C can you remember being, I don't know, it's hard for me to go back that far and remember, but when you were just a little toddler and everything was brand new, you'd see something for the first time and it was so exciting 
Life was just good. And then we had to grow up. And we lost our innocence. And so, here they are. They, they've traded their, their perception of life under the banner of innocence for this new way of looking at things under the banner of sin. And this new understanding, this new revelation of life to them that's tainted with sin causes their worldview, if you will, to be distorted. 